Hey there, hometown listeners. This is Allison bringing you a bonus episode for Holy Week. Thank you so much for your support of the Hometown Podcast and for your support and prayers for the ministry of EMM, Episcopal Migration Ministries. On this week's bonus episode for Holy Week, we share with you a new song from Abraham Mawinda, our theme song composer, and then share an interview with Emily Jones, the immigration attorney at Kentucky Refugee Ministries in Lexington. We hope you enjoy this week's extra content and we'll hold you in our prayers as we continue our walk through Holy Week from Good Friday to Holy Saturday to Easter Sunday morning. Peace be with you and all those you consider home. He's heard of a place better than these Free from hate and poverty Children play and live in peace No gunshots flying up in the streets She wake up every morning, falls to her knees Praise the God, so please make the pain free Save her life from the misery yeah. Change her reality oh, 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 yeah. So hold on and be strong And never give up hope Someday you'll get to go home You'll get to go home So hold on and be strong And never give up hope Someday you'll get to go home You'll get to go home We're so thankful today to be with Emily Jones, the immigration attorney at Kentucky Refugee Ministries in Lexington, Kentucky. We're going to be talking to Emily a little bit about her work, but also about the asylum-seeking process and how folks would seek asylum in the United States. So Emily, um, it's a great honor to be with you. Thank you so much for your time today. Can you describe your work, your day-to-day, for our audience? Of course. So um, as the immigration attorney at Kentucky Refugee Ministries, I focus primarily on humanitarian and family-based immigration. Our practice centers around our refugee population that we resettle through the agency, but we also take cases um, from the community, um, other folks that need help with immigration, uh, family petitions, uh, Violence Against Women Act cases, U visas, and we also work on asylum cases. And that's what we'll be talking most about today, but I'd love for you to share with our listeners what a typical, if there is such thing as a typical, what a typical day in the life of an immigration attorney is like here at KRM. So um, daily here at KRM uh, is never the same. (laughs) uh, We mostly meet with clients um, who've come through our program to help them get green cards and citizenship. 
It's a lot of sitting with folks and going through very specific applications and information that a lot of our clients have a hard time remembering dates and addresses. Mm -hmm. And so we spend a lot of time with folks trying to figure out where they've been, what they've been doing, and making sure that everything that they're disclosing to immigration is accurate. And, you know, we spend a lot of time with folks who have been separated from their family. So uh, we do these family petitions, primarily, again, for refugee families um, who shortly after arrival will come to our office and say, oh my goodness, we left behind my husband or I've just gotten in contact with children I haven't heard from since we got separated in the conflict. Mm. And so we'll do those kinds of applications for folks. In recent past, it's been pretty uncertain how long those cases would take, but um, they are some of the most rewarding work that we do here tonight, in fact. (laughs) Uh, I'll be going to the airport to meet my client's husband that she hasn't seen in eight years. Mm. When she separated from him during the conflict in their country, she was pregnant, and so her husband has not met their youngest child. So it's going to be a really special evening, and it totally makes the work, this day-to-day uh, slog through paperwork and details, all all worth it to see these families back together. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. We're recording our conversation today from Kentucky Refugee Ministry's office, so I actually like the fact that there's some background noise of the hustle and bustle of a local office. So, so audience, you're getting a pretty, <laughs> a pretty authentic experience being in the midst of all the action. So on the podcast, we're mostly talking about refugees and refugee resettlement and the work of Episcopal Migration Ministries, but it's also important to understand who asylum seekers are and what the process is like for an asylum seeker who might come to the United States seeking political asylum. And so Emily's going to help us now kind of parse the difference between those terms and those two different processes for refugees versus for asylum seekers. And Emily, as, as we talked earlier um, earlier today, those terms are often conflated in the popular imagination and in the national discourse. Can you tell our listeners the differences and why it's important to understand those differences? Absolutely. So an asylum seeker is a person who has come to the United States either with a visa or showed up at the border or a port of entry like an airport and has told the official um, or has filed an application saying that they have suffered persecution in their home country or if they were not a citizen in another country, the last country in which they habitually resided. This persecution, just like with refugee status, needs to be based on race, religion, nationality, membership in a particular social group, or their political opinion. And The main difference between an asylum seeker and a refugee is that the process for asylum seekers occurs here in the United States, whereas a refugee, when they enter, they've already undergone intense scrutiny from the United Nations uh, High Commission on Refugees, as well as USCIS um, interviews in the country where they were initially refugees. Asylum seekers that enter at the border, uh, depending on their age, um, if they're adults, will likely be detained and held in detention and go before a judge in that detention center and have to plead their case for asylum. If you enter the United States on a visa, 
you can apply for asylum. We call it affirmative asylum. And in that situation, you're not in detention, but uh, you may or may not be able to work, depending on how you enter the country. Could you talk a little bit about what individuals that your clients that you serve, what would happen for an individual who comes to you to apply for asylum? Um, What's the process for them once they apply and what happens? So um, the asylum application process is free. Uh, So they would come to our office and they would not have to pay the U.S. government a fee to file the application. It's a pretty detailed application asking, you know, why do you think you're eligible? Who are your family members? Has anyone been involved in anything criminal? And then you are uh, required to give proof that you've suffered the persecution or that you fear persecution on one of those bases. Um, With our clients, that typically involves writing a very detailed personal statement and having to talk through what they've experienced. Um, Some clients were able to bring documents or news articles about their particular situations. We also help our clients by providing country conditions reports and legal briefs to support their cases. Once we send that off, um, our office here in Lexington, we would send them off to Chicago. The clients have to go to a biometrics appointment, have their fingerprints taken, pictures, everything uh, is put through a FBI background check. And then we wait. After we apply, the clients have to wait 150 days before they can apply for work authorization, which you know, can be really difficult for some of our clients, especially if they don't have any family or relatives here in the United States. What do they do while they're waiting? We've had clients um, who have stayed in shelter and relied on the kindness of strangers to help them buy food and get medicine that they needed. You know, for some clients, they're lucky enough to have a family member already here in the United States that they can stay with. But for the majority of clients that we've assisted, they've really had to rely on churches and other places of worship and shelters for um, their livelihood. I mean, they haven't been able to do anything else. After we apply for the work authorization at the 150-day mark, it usually takes about 30 days for the card to come in. So... Um, About six months after the application, they're eligible to work. And then once that happens, they can continue to renew that work authorization until their case is heard. We talked a little bit earlier today, before the interview started, about the delay in processing of asylum applications. And these numbers were startling to me, um, the lengthy delay between filing and when something might be reviewed. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So where you file and where your case is heard depends on where you live. Um, So here in Lexington, our affirmative asylum applications are heard in the asylum office in Chicago, Illinois. And for the vast majority of cases right now, the wait is a little over two years for an interview in that office. Once you go to the interview, some cases receive decisions within six weeks, eight weeks, But a lot of other cases wait a long time for those decisions. We have cases that were heard this time 
last year that still don't have decisions. Um, and those, at least one of those clients had already waited two and a half years to have her interview. So um, we've been waiting almost four years to know what's going on in her case. I can't imagine how hard that must be to sit with people whose lives are in limbo and they're, they're trying to, you know, continue on with life, perhaps pursue goals, but everything is somewhat on hold. So the work that you do, we know is so important, but we also have to acknowledge how taxing it must be. Could you talk a little bit about, um, this is one of the places where I think the conflation of refugee and asylum seeker is has been most prominent in recent years in the media, and that has been the European so-called refugee crisis. But given what you've shared today about asylum seeking in the United States, it strikes me that it's it's misnamed. It's not really a refugee crisis. People who have gone to Europe who fled their countries, who've gone to Europe, they've not yet received official refugee status. And so they're actually entering countries seeking asylum. Is that right? Can you help us understand that? Yeah, I think you have it right. Um, A lot of the migration patterns that have been heading into Europe uh, have, well, there's been two different types of people coming into Europe. One group would be the traditional Uh, economic migrants, so folks that are just seeking a better life Mm -hmm. and whose countries maybe aren't able to provide them with the opportunities or the economic stability that they want for themselves and their families. And and that's a different type of immigration. There's other folks that are coming from countries that are in conflict and they are fleeing war or persecution based on one of those particular reasons that we talked about earlier, the folks that are entering from war zones and who have suffered persecution are coming in and seeking asylum, asking the countries to recognize oftentimes the UN conventions that many of the countries have signed on to and evaluate their cases for asylum. We have a huge backlog here in the United States, but you can only imagine with the flows of people that we were talking about in the European context, how long the backlogs are in places like Greece, mm-hmm. where many people were crossing the Mediterranean and seeking protection. And that's also why we see essentially UNHCR setting up refugee camps in those places, because there's so many people seeking that status. And I think UNHCR is trying to help process those people, but a lot of them are in the traditional asylum-seeking process of those European countries. That's really helpful. Thank you so much. So, Emily, how you were describing the situation in Europe sounded similar to my ears to what we experienced in the summer of 2014, where the media was very much focused on unaccompanied children crossing the southern border. And I understand that the Office of Refugee Resettlement, which you know, of course, participates in the Refugee Resettlement Program. And listeners, you might recall, we discussed this in episode two. My understanding is those children went into the care of ORR after they crossed the border. Could you talk a little bit about what's happened with cases, those types of cases, and what's going on with the processing of those children today? 
The children that entered back in that summer that we were talking about, 2014, and have entered since, uh, were put into the care and custody of ORR. ORR tried to find uh, like children's shelters for them to go to, uh, and also tried to coordinate the reunification of those children with family members if they had them here in the United States. Uh, however, all of those children were put into removal proceedings, um, were issued notices to appear in immigration court. Not all of them have been filed in immigration court, but a vast majority of them have. And so those children, depending on their particular situation, were likely seeking special immigrant juvenile status or asylum. The asylum cases are through the immigration court, so they are defensive asylum cases, but if the child was unaccompanied at the border, their cases are heard through um, the asylum offices around the country. So again, if a child was put into OR custody and then released to a family member here in Lexington, for example, uh, the children would be heard in Chicago first before they're heard in front of the immigration judge. Uh, we've started to see fewer and fewer of those cases, but there's still a huge backlog of those children making their way through the process. Well, and some of those children, I understand, were able to access a program called the Central American Minors Program or the CAM program. And in the resettlement world, we call them CAM AORs or Central American Minor Affidavits of Relationships. So they they demonstrate that they have a relationship to someone in the U.S. Can you talk a little bit about what's going on now with the CAM program and with those relationships those children were claiming to have access to that that program? Sure. So the the difference there with the CAM program was it was created to keep children from arriving at the border uh, on their own. So mm -hmm. the CAM program created in-country processing for those children that could show a relationship to someone in the United States with at least some status. So their parents here in the United States could not be completely undocumented. And many of the children who benefited from the CAM program's parents held temporary protected status. And the Central American Minors Program only applied to children from El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. And those three countries have had temporary protected status here in the United States, depending on when you arrived. Many folks have had that temporary protected status for almost 20 years, if not more. And so their children were coming to the United States through that program and if they were found to be eligible for asylum in country, they came with asylee status. Uh, but many of the children were not found to be eligible for asylum in their home country, and so were instead granted a two-year humanitarian parole into the United States. Uh, we are starting to see those paroles expire now for those children, and so we're working with them to renew uh, their applications for humanitarian parole. Given the recent decision to terminate uh, temporary protected status for some of those countries, uh, we are not sure how these applications for extension of parole will go. Um, that'll be interesting for us to watch in the coming months.
it's really helpful for you to break that down for us and also for us to understand the interconnectedness of so many different parts of our humanitarian immigration policy for asylum seekers, for unaccompanied children, Central American minors, um, and for refugees. So to conclude our, our time together today, first, thank you so much for giving your time and for explaining so much to our audience. And I wonder if you could leave our audience with, um, with what you most wish people knew about the work that you do. Um, thank you for having me. It's been really fun to talk about this stuff with you. Uh, it's hard, difficult work, but I'm so grateful to be able to explain it to your listeners. I, I wish more people would take the time to meet my clients and uh, to get to know them, to understand that rather than being these scary, threatening, terrible uh, creatures that some folks make them out to be, that they're actually just humans and that they've really had a hard life, a lot of them, and they've suffered a lot of trauma and are some of the most resilient, beautiful souls I've ever come across. And I, I, that's what I wish people could see, rather than kind of this portrayal that we see all the time. Um, I wish people could see that these are just really people and that, you know, their life stories have really affected, you know, how they see the world and they offer so much to me every day. I love it. Um, I love getting to talk to them and getting to know them and to be part of their lives. Um, and so I just wish that everybody had that opportunity. So do we. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this week's bonus episode. We hope you enjoyed the new song by Abraham Mwenda Kondo. Find his music at abrahammwendamusic.com. A huge thanks goes out to Emily Jones for today's conversation. Be sure to tune in next week and tell your friends about the Hometown Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where we are EMM Refugees. Learn more about our work, how you or your congregation can be involved in this ministry, or make a donation at EpiscopalMigrationMinistries.org. Until next week, peace be with you and all those you consider home. So hold on and be strong and never give up hope Someday you'll get to go home, you'll get to go home So hold on and be strong and never give up hope Someday you'll get to go home, you'll get to go home, yeah You'll get to go home, yeah you get to go home, so hold on